Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, a very special episode of Offside Hockey Talk. Sitting down with the goalie whisperer himself, Kevin Woodley. Hey, how's it going tonight, my friend? It's good. Like, is the backdrop just for me with the brick wall? or um... uh, It's definitely just for you, obviously. Obviously, we'll talk about the brick wall later on as well. But yeah, no, it's just for you. I came up with it a few months ago, and now it's stuck. And I've been wanting to have you on for a while. So I think we talked originally over the summer, and that's when all of this was kind of created. And then it just stuck, man. I like it. I like it. I like anything with a good goalie theme. <laughs> well, let's talk about goalie theme. I heard it on the Jeff Merrick show. I've heard it a few times. Where did the nickname, the goalie whisperer, come from? Oh, crap. See, now I got to send Elliot Friedman like another 20 bucks in the mail. I think every, <laughs> every time somebody says it, I got to send it to him. I, it came from him. Um, and it's certainly not true. Like in terms of, you know, like I don't... I, like I think of a whisper, like to me, the goalie whispers, guys like Sean Burke and, you know, Benoit Lair and Ian Clark and Francois Lair, like the guys that actually help goalies. I'm more just, I whisper about um, things going on in the world of goaltending that I learned from the experts. And so uh, Elliot coined it and I guess it stuck. Um, but every time like I'm on a show or something and they introduce me as a goalie guru or a goalie expert, I feel like my beer league team just cringes because they've actually... <laughs> <laughs> seen me play goal and they're like where where is where is this expertise when we actually need you to stop a uh, freaking puck but um as they say those that can't do teach and those that can't do or teach they talk about it somewhere and that is me talking about goaltending well no i've always found your insight you know awesome and i mean remember the first time i heard you on the jeff merrick show obviously i reached out actually it was about something about shots and shot quality and just asking if that was a thing and i think it was with jack campbell to originally begin with and that was a couple of years ago now. But um, your insight on that was good because it made me kind of think, okay, A, maybe I know a little bit of what I'm talking about when it comes to spewing some words myself. And B, you kind of broke it down on a microscopic level of what it was that I was thinking. So I really appreciated that at that point. Yeah, no, it's, um, listen, like, it's funny because for the longest time, there was sort of this pushback on the idea of shot quality um, and, and it being important. Uh, you know, from the analytics side and I get it in large samples, like, it, you know, if, if the sample's big enough, it washes out. But if you play goal enough, like, you know, like, you know, 10 shots from the bottom of the face-off circle, if they're headed in a straight line, I'm set and square and in position, 
versus 10 shots from the bottom of a face-off circle following a lateral pass. Like, you know, if one goalie gets eight of the latter and the other goalie only gets two, like I like the chances of the guy that, that that's only seeing two with that lateral pass built in. And that's just one small example of sort of, you know, and again, Stephen Valaket deserves all the credit for sort of taking this and modeling it out and tracking it, frankly. That's the hardest part because, you know, even amongst uh, some of the private models, a lot of the private models, frankly, don't don't include some of those sort of contextual points of data, traffic screens, um, pre-shot passing, things like that. Uh, and, you know, again, when you play the position, you sort of like you just instinctually know that this stuff matters, this stuff makes a difference. And we're starting to see that, you know, for lack of a better term, it's coming out in the math. No, and it's starting to really shake out the way that it should. And then to the next point, I mean, they say, you know, show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good defense. And there's some argument, especially over on the TikTok world, that, you know, goal any goaltender can go in the net and the defense, you know, if it's good enough, will make that goaltender look good every single night, whether it's talking maybe just, let's say, Kazmir Kaskasuo or a Carey Price. Both can be very great between the pipes if they have a good goal to, or a good defense in front of them. And for me, I've always said I think there's a certain amount of skill you need to have to be one of the great elite goaltenders and steal your team saves and games. But the argument they say is, well, if you have a good defense, that goaltender doesn't have to do that, and it inflates their numbers. I want to know what your thought is on that. Well, I mean, first of all, you mentioned TikTok. Like clearly, in my uh, vintage goalie. <laughs> hoodie here um i am not of the tiktok generation so uh my kids are on there but i i can't keep up i am the olds um so i don't know what that debate i'll have to i'll have to send you a few videos just so okay. you can see this argument and because i think someone like you would appreciate what they're trying to say but at the same time almost shake your head because they're basically saying that a goaltender no matter who it is between the pipes if the defense is good it could be any goaltender and their numbers will be the same as a Marty Brodeur and this, that, and the other. And it doesn't doesn't look that way. We can look at stats and black and white numbers and say it does not add up. Well, like, I mean, but there is an element of truth to, and this is the catchphrase I use and have used for years, like goaltending doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, so you are somewhat dependent on what goes on in front of you, like predictability yep. and environment you can trust. Every team gives up high danger chances. Do you know where they're going to come from? Do you only have to worry about that chance? And are you on the same page as the five guys in front of you about where it's going to come from and what it's going to look like? And can you lock in on it and not worry about the three other passing options? Cause you're all on that same page. Um, so to a degree, like I've talked to some of the best goalie coaches in the league and sort of, this is the question I asked them, you know, over the years, like if you could, as a goalie coach, um, build a team, would you take three like stellar centers down the middle, four great defensemen, or one world-class future Hall of Fame goaltender? And I'd say to a man, but pretty close to a man, they'll say, give me the top 4D, the elite top 4D, and I'll build you a goalie that can win behind them. So um, there is an element of truth to it, but only to a degree, right? Like um, you still have to be able to, even in a good environment, is it likely that a, a say an average goaltender will post better numbers in a good defensive environment? Of course, and we've got lots yeah. of examples of that. But in those environments, what can the elite goaltenders do? And even there, like there's no absolutes, which is what I love about the position. Like there is no like this is 100% every time the way to do it, and this this is what will happen. Like we know goaltenders historically who have been really good 
in looser environments where they're busy and active and seeing a lot of shots and playing with a lot of flow and rhythm, put them behind a great defensive team and they struggle because they're not busy and they lose some of that timing that their style relied upon. So Pecorini? Um, yeah, Pex, I mean, Pex became an elite puck handler in large part because he needed to be engaged in the game. Yep. Eventually he becomes one of the few to actually score a goal because under Peter Lavioletti wasn't as busy and he, he lacked that rhythm and timing. And Pex was a guy who, despite being such a monster in the crease physically, the presence, the size, the height, um, played with a lot of backwards flow. And, and the irony to me was it was UC Saros, who we see as the undersized, you know, every man's goalie now in the league, coming in and playing more conservatively positionally than Pekka that sort of opened Pekka's eyes to like, man, like if he's playing back here, I sure as hell don't need to be way out there. And that's yeah. maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but like he actually, you know, played a more conservative style after that. So uh, there's sort of that all constant evolution, um, both as individual goaltenders and preferences and, and sort of not so much styles, but tactics um, and technique. And then you've, you've also got how you fit that within a unique goaltending environment, like a unique defensive environment, sorry, and that you know, it changes. So at the end of the day, a good defense, yes, you can absolutely prop up um, you know, average goaltending and make it look like Vesna caliber on a raw number standpoint. And some of the swings are just wild around the league in terms of what the expected environment looks like. When Eric Comrie was sent to the minor leagues, uh, you know, went through waivers earlier, I think it was this month or late December, yeah, early January, uh, his expected save percentage was 850, which was one of the lowest I've seen for a goalie that had played that much. Like it just seemed like every night he was out there for the Sabres, it was a shooting gallery yeah. uh, of high quality chances. And so, um, and then there's guys with expected save percentages that are like over 900. That tends not to last. It's pretty rare. Um, but obviously in that environment, you know, you all play it by a little bit and that's how you end up with, with some, some really good numbers. Um, you can still outplay a good environment. What's really, what, what I'm starting to, again, no absolutes, but what I'm starting to see is you can't outplay or can only outplay for so long, a really bad environment. Like, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter who you are. Um, eventually that catches up with you. And it, it's almost exponential. If you're playing behind a team that's in the sort of, you know, low to mid twenties, you know, rankings wise in terms of where they are defensively, the difference between say 23 to, to 29 to 32, it's not six to, you know, nine spots. It's actually exponential. Once you get into those bottom tiers, like some of the stuff they're giving up is just, you know, it's really hard for the goalie to read plays, um, behind it and then things tend to snowball now the goalie's trying to do somebody else's job because they're not doing it and then they're trying to do the goalie's job because he's struggling like once you get into that real bottom tier man it's hard for goalies to hold water we saw this with thatcher demko last year you know at the start of the I was year gonna say, yeah there's a big difference between thatcher this year and then last year yeah it's because he's not playing in a bottom three defensive environment right like that's a, i mean eventually he got hurt last year but he wasn't hurt. I mean, he wasn't hundred percent, but he wasn't, it wasn't injuries at the start of the season. It was just a terrible defensive environment. And that's where I sort of started to realize once you get into, once I start seeing teams ranked 29th, especially off the rush in terms of what they give up, like rush chances kill. That's where the majority of your high quality, like those are the high quality chances that goalies can only do so much about. I, I remember talking to Robin Lehner about this when he was in um, with the Islanders after coming from Buffalo. And he's like, simple like when i was in buffalo we would give up four or five odd man rushes a night and when i'm in yeah. new york we give up you know one or two odd man rushes every two games and like the way he explained it to me and it makes a ton of sense like we give up odd man rushes 
and I'm on my game feeling good and we give up four, I could be at my best and they still might score on two of those. Yep. They're at least scoring on one out of four. Well, if, if all of a sudden it's every four games we give up four with the Islanders, of course it's going to look better. The numbers are going to look better. And so yep. an oversimplification perhaps, but you know, once you get into those teams that are just bleeding rush chances, saw that with Vancouver last year, Edmonton at the start of this year, right? Like yeah, Stuart Skinner from what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this guy at the beginning when they were one of the worst teams against the Russian entire National Hockey League? Since the coaching change and a little grace period there, there was an Eastern Conference swing where a lot of those habits remain. Uh, but after that, they sort of got home and got settled and got into the systems under the new head coach uh, and got – it's not even systems. It's not taking risks at the offensive end that that put you in a bad spot defensively against odd man rushes. Like all of a sudden, Stuart Skinner's playing at a Vesna caliber level. Well, what's <laughs> what's changed? Like for sure, his confidence is growing. He's and he deserves a ton of credit for the maturity he showed, the growth mindset he's always had, and he's a good goalie, sort of to get through that. But at the end of the day, they went from bottom three in the league to they are now top three in the league since the change in terms of rush chances again. So you tell me what the big difference is. It's pretty obvious. You There are certain types of chances that you give up. And when I say rush chances, I mean the highest danger rush chances. That's that they were giving up more expected goals, five on five against the rush. And now they're amongst the league's best. Their goaltending looks better, right? Like if you give up a ton of five alarm chances, the puck's going in the net. I don't know who, I don't care who you are. There are only a handful of guys that can outplay a really poor defensive environment for extended periods. And I, I don't think there's anybody that can do it season in season out. No, there's no one that can do it right now. I, maybe the closest might be the cat Vasilevsky, but that's about the only one I can think of that can kind of sustain maybe that play for a bit. Well, but there, and even then, and they have leaned on him more this year, but when they won cups, like the year they got knocked out in the first round, uh, five on five high danger chances against, they ranked in the twenties. The first year they won the cup, they were top three. Like that metric is so important and so much of it comes out of what you give up off the rush and them as a team going from, you know, disappointment in the first round to, you know, back-to-back Stanley Cups and three straight cup final appearances was largely improvements in that area. And then in subsequent years, they didn't maintain it during the regular season, but they had it in their DNA. And once the playoffs hit, they went back to being that team and not giving up those types of chances. So now we know what the Leafs need to do. <laughs> well, Figure that part out for their further goaltending, but we're going to get to them in a second. I want to ask you a question about big market goaltenders first. Obviously, places like New York, Toronto, Montreal, even Vancouver, where the media and the circus is there. You look at, I'll use Toronto as an example right now. You look at Jack Campbell when he was here, down on himself, talking to himself in the media, you know, beating himself up. Samsonov, same thing. Guys are kind of, when the big lights are on, Seems like the pressure is kind of bothering them a bit. I'm wondering for you, do you think that plays a factor into these guys with the media and all the hoopla and everything and the pressure of those markets? Does it hurt a goaltender? Or in your view of it, do these guys really tune that stuff out and just worry about their every day-to-day stuff? Because with Samsonov today, it seemed like he was trying to let everybody know, hey, it did get to me. My dad came down and talked to me. My wife's always trying to pump me up. And now I'm ready to get back to where I need to be and keep rolling with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's harder. Like it adds, a, it adds another layer that some guys don't have to deal with. Right. Like as simple yeah. as that. Right. Um, and yet, you know, I don't think Winnipeg's a soft market in terms of media focus. It may not be as big a market as the other ones you mentioned, but it's a Canadian market and the focus is always there. And 
Connor Hellebuck hasn't let that bug him. And he's an as intellectual a guy as you'll meet when it comes to sort of breaking down the position and talking about goaltending. So, um, you know, Thatcher Demko here uh, doesn't give us much in the media, frankly. Like, I have a great relationship with him. We talk goaltending. Um, but when it comes to sort of post-game scrums and stuff, like, you better make sure you ask good questions if you want a good answer, right? You, yeah. you if, if you ask a question that's got a yes or no, he'll just give you a yes or no. And so he hasn't engaged uh, as actively. You know, I think Campbell and Samsonov wear their hearts on their sleeves. And, you know, at times that that's a bit of a, I don't say risky proposition because I admire it. But, yeah. um, you know, it certainly brightens an already bright spotlight on those guys. You know, and, and Jack, you know, Jack's is hard on. That, there's the interesting thing. Like, Jack's obviously hard on himself. Right? Thatcher Demko is incredibly hard on himself. His expectations of himself and what he's capable of doing are as high as anyone I've met. And yet their approach to the media is entirely different. And I think Jack's vulnerability at times exposes him to further questions. Whereas the media here in Vancouver may not always like the lack of engagement with Thatcher or the the dismissive is, isn't the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word to use in terms of some of his answers. He just, he's, he's curt in the, in his response. And, and, you know, you're most media don't like that. I don't, you know, you're trying to fill stories and get quotes and things like that. And he doesn't, you, you go fishing for a quote. He doesn't always give it to you. Um, yet that just sort of reduces the, like, you're not getting asked as many questions. You're not getting asked for as much time. When you open yourself up and you're in as vulnerable and exposed as those guys have been in that Toronto market, um, you know, that opens the door to further questions about your emotions, about your mindset, about your mental health, about how you're feeling, um, and ensures that you're answering and talking about these things maybe more than might be ideal for any goaltender. No, that's a fair shake, and that's something you don't really think about, obviously. The more you share, I guess, the more you open yourself to scrutiny, the more you open yourself to people talking about what you're saying. And we know nowadays everyone picks apart every single word. So if you don't choose it correctly or if you don't answer it correctly or if you give too much, it gives people too much to talk about. And in the case of Campbell and Samsonov and even, uh, you know, you look down the list of different goaltenders over the years that have said things in Toronto, you know, they question the mindset, they question the the resolve, so to speak. So that, that makes sense to me. One guy who's got a lot of resolve for the Maple Leafs right now is Chris Sanford working with these goaltenders. What is his style? What does he get into with these guys? And really, what does he bring that maybe the Leafs haven't had before? I remember the the different goggle vision. I think it was last year with Matt Murray. I don't know if that was Sanford. I think it was, but just trying to get these guys on track. Uh, no, I think I think Matt Matt probably brought that himself from some of the other work he'd done. Like he brought that to the equation. Actually, you know, funny enough, there's a there's a different product that does better things that was talking with Curtis about when they were through town here. Um, to me, what Curtis brings is uh, a combination of sort of cutting edge technical work, but with the understanding um, of having played the position yeah, and having gone through changes in his career and evolution in his career. Like he's, you know, I got to know Curtis here in Vancouver. He's very much a student of Ian Clark's philosophy. And obviously Ian Clark you know, probably doesn't outside of this market get talked about in the same terms as a Benoit Lair or Francois Lair or um, you know, some of the, you know, the big names in, in, in the world of goalie coaching, but he's a guy that's had a ton of success long ago. I look at Markstrom, you look at Demko here, you look at Sergei Bobrovsky winning his two Vesna trophies in Columbus under Ian Clark. Um, you know, and he's a guy who on the teaching side, like has just shared prolific amounts of information over there. This is actually how I got into goaltending 
was Ian Clark hired me to edit his uh, now defunct magazine called Goalie News. It was a printed product. And I edited his technical material, which is how I came to this and how I started learning about the position because the way he coaches was the same way he wrote. Um, it wasn't do this because I say so and I'm the goalie coach. It was here is the science and you you know get into squareness and positioning. Like there's a reason for this. There's a full explanation so that you're not just asked to do it. You're you're supposed to you know you're given an opportunity to understand the why. And so that helped me getting into the position and it helped sort of open up these conversations that I get to have with goalies now because I was asking them questions in a language they spoke at a time when nobody else was really doing that, right? Like there are more people doing that kind of stuff now. Um, but you know, back then, not so much. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, sorry, I'm just putting this on, uh, do not disturb. Uh, I got, got a phone call coming in there. My apologies. Um, no so, um, and Curtis was one of those goalies. Curtis was one of those goalies here in Vancouver that sort of, and reinvented his game a little bit, modernized it at a certain stage of his career under Ian Clark and then worked under him or with him um, as the goalie development coach here in Vancouver. So when I see guys move around, when I see Joseph Wool on the ice with, with Curtis uh, as he was here in Vancouver, get to watch that, I see a lot of the technical staples, uh, the movement foundations, the post play, um, the uh, stress, the points that are of emphasis, I guess I should say, rather than stress, uh, yep. you know, early eyes, rotation. I see a lot of same things technically and tactically being taught that came from Ian. And Ian's a taskmaster. Like he pushes, he expects, like if we're the most important players on the ice as goalies, we, yep. should, be the, we should be the hardest working guys on the ice. And he pushes his goalies as hard as anyone I've ever seen. And, and Curtis, I'm not saying he doesn't push them as hard, but he's been there, right? Like, so he yeah. knows how hard that can be to make changes mid through your career or some things will come naturally to some guys. And so he brings all that technical expertise with a little more sort of been there, done that, including on the other side of that teaching as a, as a, as a student, um, he brings that experience. And so uh, I wasn't at all surprised. Like I knew he'd be an NHL goalie coach if he so chose to be um, after he got into coaching. And I was happy that it's in Toronto because I know it's close to home for him, but also like, uh, you know, just um, for the organization, I knew they were getting a really good goalie coach. Well, definitely. And that's something I guess the Leafs have been searching for and they always want to have that cutting edge. And if you can't have, you know, the taskmaster and Clark, not so bad to get a disciple in Sanford. And I'm wondering, there's a goaltender, Ilya Samsonov. We talked about him just a moment ago. Confidence has been a thing. Obviously, his play hasn't been what it was last year. What can you give us on Ilya Samsonov, in your opinion, that might, A, either give us a glimmer of hope that Samsonov of last year is on the way back? Because he didn't look too bad against Seattle. wasn't called upon a whole ton, but he did look more confident in his movement, in my opinion. I don't know a whole ton about movement and goaltenders, but at least was going post to post like he did last year and seemed to be effortless and where earlier in the season it seemed to me more helter skelter or he wasn't reading it right so i'm wondering for samsonov what do you see here should we be excited by what we've seen on sunday or should we be tempering our expectations and saying hey maybe he's not going to rebound to where he was well I, I i don't think it's a coincidence that he had the performance he had sunday because as you said it was a night where and this isn't a criticism at all it's just like everything in front of him was a lot more controlled 
Yep. Right. And so, and when things did break down and there was some scramble saves and there were some excellent ones he made um, where he had to scramble and go goalie nine one one a little bit and he's got that in him. Right. And so, yep. and, and, and he made some tough saves, even if it maybe I would argue they weren't the prettiest at times, right. He battled and he's got that in him and those are all good things. And the success he had last year was behind a team that, you know, I talked about those numbers with Tampa Bay, like that's Toronto over the past number of years. Like, for, for you know, I, I can't remember how many years now, but I kept hearing about you know like this this offensive juggernaut, the Leafs, and how they're not a good defense. Like they've been a good defensive team they for a long been, yeah. time. Yeah, they're not this year, right? Like no. they're not they're not that anymore. You watch them more than I, but I saw it here in Vancouver. I saw the types of chances they're giving up. Uh, I look at the numbers. You know, I mean, when I look at last year, five on five, high danger, expected goals against, they're fifth in the league. We talked about rush chances third best in the league penalty kill first best in the league you know i fast forward now 17th five on five overall 10th against the rush not terrible still top 10 yep um 24th on the penalty kill the penalty kill is a killer for the squad this year and so you've got a a much less predictable environment for a goaltender and i think the word you used just now that is the most important when it comes to Ilya is reads and i say you know like Everything in goaltending is a sliding scale, right? Like you got your t- goalies that rely on technique and goalies that rely on reads. Like if there's a sliding scale of that, everybody has a different point. And there's a number of different skill sets and everybody has different points. And again, that's the beauty that I like about it. There is no, this is the formula that's best. Everybody yeah, it's not brings, and dry. Right. Everybody brings a different formula. I've talked since Ilya was there. There are physical limitations um, that he has in his game. That narrow butterfly is always going to produce uh, a lot more sort of pinball action back there in tight. Uh, it's going to leave him pitched forward when he has to extend a leg because he doesn't have the flexibility to have a wide flare underneath him to stay over his knees and have that down low coverage. It causes delays in movements when he has to scramble because, again, narrow butterfly means your feet are more behind you. If my feet are out nice and wide bes- beside me in a wide butterfly, I can grab an edge just by barely lifting that knee and go east-west. If my feet are behind me, I've got a pull that knee up and that skate out to get rotation and make a push. There are delays. It takes longer. Like there are just, you know, and I've always sort of looked at that and I'm like, man, like, is that just a physical thing that'll never change or has he worked at it? Um, Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure to be honest with you. And I still think he's a goalie that relies on reads. So give him an environment that's more predictable and he can still have that success. Give him like every goalie is going to be worse behind a worse environment. And it's a worse environment this year. Yeah. Um, but I think there are some guys that rely more on it. Right. Like, and, and so if the reads are tough to trust and he's in scramble mode more often, as much as I love his battle, you, the earlier and more often you end up in goalie nine one one mode, the more chances you're going to get exposed. Cause for him with that, those sort of physical limitations I talked about, like y- you just, you end up sort of going, to your last move earlier. Yeah. Um, your finisher, little, basically. Yeah. You, you, it's a little harder to just stay over your knees and move around back there. Like you're, you know, one of those um, table hockey goalies, right. You know, just like <laughs> these, these goalies now, like with those super wide flares, it's like, you know, they lift the knee, just barely make a little, you know, little tweak with the ankle, little edge with the toe and bam, they're across the crease. And they haven't given them any coverage. They haven't spread out. They haven't had to open up. They're just position to position over top of their knees, access to their hands. And, and there are, you know, Ilya doesn't have that. And some of it is, there are some things in his skating that puts him in a bad spot. Like technically um, saw some progression last year, but it's limited. And I just, yeah. uh, you know, and 
this is a guy who early in his career, like, you know, left the Washington camp with some instructions on things they wanted him to work with. And, you know, when it's Mitch Korn giving those instructions, you'd think there'd be, you know, a receptive. But, you know, it goes back to Russia and didn't want to work on them. That that wasn't how we wanted to play. I think sometimes when you have that pedigree, saw this with Jacob Markstrom here, it's worked for me to this point. Like, this is why I'm good. I'm the best goalie, not in the NHL. You know, we've heard that label for guys. When you have that pedigree and you have success playing your way, sometimes it's harder to get you to buy into changes. And I thought coming out of Washington, given the way it ended there late, like like we're talking the last half of the last season in Washington, he he was finally receptive to some of these things. Um, I thought he'd be, I thought we'd see more changes from him there, but I'm I'm just not sure whether it's receptiveness or, or in terms of just digging in on the work side of things. He still looks to me a lot of times, not entirely the same, but like a similar goalie. And part of that is, you know, the physical and part of that is the reliance on reads. And so unless they get back to being that tight team, he can still be the guy he was last year. Yeah. But the way he's playing is not going to have the same consistent impact that it did last year behind the team. Now, like it just, it's just, there's, there's just more situations where he's, you know, put in a position that he gets extended early and, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, well, like you said, it's going to the last, you know, trick in your bag early to make that save 10 bell and you're wide open. And I I want to see Samsonov succeed. And the answer you gave me is, is, is very thought out. And it hurts me because I like Samsonov. You, you hate seeing a guy in the media, you know, talk about trying to get his game back. But if the Leafs are what they are defensively and giving him more chances against, he's not really going to be conducive to him unless, again, He's fully open and receptive to what's being thrown at him to change some of those things. But again, maybe too late in his game to do those things. Well, no, I mean, like, there's also like, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, I don't want that to, it came across probably more negative than I intended it. Um, you know, as those reads get less predictable, it's not like they're, they're not like a, they're not like those bottom three teams I talked about. Like they're still, you know, still flirting with top 10 off the rush. It may not be what they were before. But there's probably an adjustment period for him too. Both when you talk about his confidence, because the numbers aren't going to be the same. Like that's the other thing. Like the numbers, you know, like like he's well below expected this year, and he was he was slightly above it last year. Um, Some guys struggle with that. Like some guys pay attention to their numbers, and and like he's going to have to. There might be adjustments, whether it's that or adjustments to the reads. Like hey, the reads aren't the same as last year. Cause we're giving up more. And so I got to hold my edges longer. I got to not commit early. Like these things, there is a path forward whereby just getting comfortable that it's going to be different. And over time, you know, he'll become more confident in his reads, even if, even as they become more difficult and, and tougher to rely on consistently just cause he's done them more. But if yeah. you tr- try and read the game the same way you did last year with what they're giving up, you know, that that's tough. And that's part of the adjustment he has to go through. So I'm not saying write him off by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, I wouldn't write um, him off. I'm just saying, you know, when he I, may not I get to the levels of last year. Yeah. When I want well, no goalie, like to get to the levels of last year would require outplaying what he did last year by a significantly wider margin. That's like, that's, true. It's just that much tougher. Yeah. With what the Leafs are giving him. Well, a, a goaltender, a lot of us want to know about is the Hildebeest. Yeah, and um, I'm going to be honest with you. This might be a short segment because I didn't have a chance to do homework, and I do not like to talk out of my ass. So I have nope. not seen a lot of video on him. I haven't seen enough to give you an educated opinion. And unlike the guys at the NHL level where I can pull up the numbers through clear sight 
and then yep. just just watch all the video that coincides with the strengths and weaknesses. I don't have that that ability in the American Hockey League. So my apologies. I, I'm a little short on time to sort of. Uh, it's tough to keep up with the NHL. I can't. I can't catch up in the A. So I. I. I don't have a ton for you. No. The only question I'll ask you is, do you think he has a bona fide chance of being an NHL goaltender? That's the straight narrow question I'll ask you on him. Uh, with what he's done in the AHL, obviously he's done well, but. Um, you know, he got called up. Everybody was hoping maybe he'd get a game where everything was down with Samsonov and Jones was the goaltender and Wool was hurt. So I guess Leafs Nation just wants to know, do we have something here? And it says something worth maybe putting a little stock in fan-wise for this guy. Well, I mean, he's he's got the side. Like, that's the thing about 6'7", man. Like, that is, you know. Beast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nickname's apt. Um there are advanced, like it's funny because everybody loves the six, seven, the six, five, the six, six. The reality is anything bigger than six, three, six, four. If, if we identify six, three, I think a lot of goalie coaches tell you six, three is your ideal. Um, you have to overcome your size on both ends of the scale, four inches okay. taller, four inches lower. Now the guys that are four inches smaller than six, three, don't get the chance. The guys that are four inches taller, get all kinds of chance because they fill up so much net. But the challenges are just different. Like bigger goalies open bigger holes. The game has become incredibly dynamic east-west. So you're a bit like you got to skate in today's game. You can't, it's not just enough to skate from your knees, although some guys move from their knees as well as other guys do from their feet. Um, it's just, it's not as easy to be as fast east-west, especially when you're that big. Um, and that's the challenge. So just, you know, there are challenges. They're just different. Listen, man, he's rocking a 918 you know, early in his, in, in his career this season, getting a chance to play more. Um, what I can't tell you is how much of that is the team in front of them and yep. how much of that is Dennis, but you combine that size with the crew he's working with. Uh, I'm a big fan of Henry Toivin and as well, who they've got down there in the American hockey league. I know he didn't come with a ton of coaching experience when he arrived. Um, but you know, when you talk to people uh, around him about sort of what he brings and then you add, the the voice uh the 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 sort of bringing in maybe a different look at the technical side to to complement it with some of the things that Curtis would bring and then Curtis McElhenney like you know between Sanford and McElhenney like you know these are they've got a really good group of people there and you've got a goalie with a lot of skill a lot of size and so yeah like without having seen the video to give you an honest Kevin Woodley opinion I just trust the people around him that if they see it it's probably there what the upside is and when it might arrive, man, I'd be lying if I said yep. I had a clue, but I certainly like the team they've built to help him take those steps. And when you see where he is at this point in his career early on, even if a lot of it is team influence, again, I don't know. Um, that's a positive. No problem. That is one goalie that maybe in a year's time, I'll come back to you and ask some questions on and see where your opinion is there. One guy that we have exchanged messages on and I've been high on for the past couple of years been wanting to see the brick wall more on the Maple Leafs crease. We're starting to see it this season. He got injured. You got to see him on the ice on the weekend. What is he looking like? Is he far away? Because I've had this opinion, a high ankle sprain. You got to move post to post and you got to slam your ankles and slam your feet probably a lot. And that's probably a pain threshold thing. But I mean, for the Leafs, I'd want this guy to be 100%. Well, I think... Google yeah, I was, I'm sorry, I was going to say, I don't know if it's, pay, it's a little bit of pain threshold, but it's also just like making sure you don't do any d- damage long-term. 
Um, you know, I think of an MCL tear for a goalie, like you can come back after three months or two and a half months or sometimes even six weeks, but it's six months before you're actually better. Um, I've had a lot of guys tell me that one. Listen, I, I, I mean, I watched him skate. I would say that, you know, you obviously understand goaltending. If you know that the post work, um, is sort of the last step. Uh, that you have to get comfortable with coming off an ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain like that. And, you know, I don't know where he is on that. I, you know, I think, I think a lot of the the guesses I've seen around it are probably another couple of weeks, um, but I'm with you. And I think they're on the same page. Like you want to push it, but you don't want to go to push it to the point where you have a setback yeah. because we can ask all the questions like Martin Jones has been really good. I know there's a bit of a dip here recently, but he was really good coming in there and it wasn't, it wasn't just the team. Like Martin Jones was was outperforming that environment <laughs> by a significant margin for a while. Um, you know, and yeah, hey, they got a good start out of Samsonov. Maybe he can get some confidence back. But at the end of the day, Joseph Wool is the future. Um, hopefully for the Maple Leafs, healthy enough to be the future this season. But I, I'm with you. You know, I remember being, uh, you know, on with uh, Kiprios and Bourne last year and you know, asking about how they they established sort of the pecking order of who gets what starts down the stretch last year and saying, like, I'd make sure I work in Joseph Wall because mm-hmm. I think by the time you get to the playoffs, you might need him. You know, I did some video on him and did some work sort of looking at his game is so impressive. And then when you like we've had the chance to talk and get, you know, get to know the young man a little bit, um, that's impressive. Like the future is so bright for him and for the Leafs in goal. Like, like to me, he's it. Um, his skating, his hockey IQ, his goalie IQ, his edge work, uh, his decision-making, his reads, uh, some of the mechanics when he gets down on his knees on the ice, we talk about guys that can sort of move around almost like I used the word with Shisterkin last or two years ago when he was having his heart, like he looks like a hovercraft out there. Yep. Um, there's an element to that with Joseph wall. And, um, just a real student game. Like this kid's putting the work in, right? Like he's doing the video work after games. He's making sure he's, you know, trying to consistently learn. Uh, I think he's got a great, you know, balance in terms of how he gets away from the game and knowing when to get away from the game. That probably bodes well for the pressures of that market. Um, There's just very little social media for Joe wool. Yeah. No, between the ears and between the pipes, there's just so much to like, and listen, like, I'm always I'm biased towards the no stone unturned guys. Like I've always been biased towards the guys that are always looking to get better. I think it's no coincidence. Um, you know, some of the all-time greats, you look at Luongo, you look at Marc-Andre Fleury both being in that thousand game club, like they never stopped evolving. They were constantly looking for ways to Fleury, even this year, like he's got a new paddle on his stick that he, you know, thinks helps him in the butterfly. And I know the raw numbers on Fleury may not be a flattering, but the adjusted numbers are still excellent, especially since the coaching change. Like if teams are looking at him as an option and the wild yep. and him are, are, are up to it, he's definitely a guy that I would consider. Um, so I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the guys that get to that stage that play that long are the guys that are always willing to look at new things. And yet, as much as I love the no stone unturned guys, I also recognize that, you know, it's a fine line. And you've got to be careful not to chase change when things aren't going well. Don't chase change for the sake of change as much as I want a constant evolution. Like the position changes so much that if you're not constantly evolving, you're falling behind others. Joseph just seems to have a really good understanding of all that and a really good balance. He'll look at tools, figure out whether he wants to add it to his toolbox. Um, He knows when he makes saves that are the result of a mistake and they end up looking spectacular. There's a lot of highlight reels do because he's made a mistake. But there's a foundation underneath that 
that even in moments of desperation where you might say afterwards, I could have done this differently and made my life easier, the foundation doesn't disappear. You know, I think of those backdoor saves on Tarasenko in the, you know, unfortunately the game that ended, you know, his season for a bit here with the, with the ankle sprain. But yeah. like, you know, yes, there's an element of desperation. But if you look at the way he loads both those pushes, like a lot of goalies with that wide, they look over and see a wide open back door and he leads with his eyes on everything. It's such a, it's a habit that the elite goaltenders have. And it's something that I know Curtis stresses and, and Joseph, whether he all already did it or not, man, he does it at an elite level. Now everything is with the eyes, keeps his head for head for the most part down on pucks, which produces natural rotation. So the eyes are across first and Tarasenko's looking at an open net. A lot of goalies are just going to reach. They're going to It's like, Oh man, I don't have time to load up a push. I'm going to dive head first, get something to the middle of the net. Like as he sees that and understands in the first one, that Tarasenko isn't one teeing it because he's got early eyes. Yeah, He gains rotation underneath himself and loads up for a proper push to give himself a chance to move into that space. And then still has the awareness because of the visual attachment to go desperation, but only after he's loaded a push. If he goes early and reaches early, He's just basically playing hit me. He's just sticking an arm out. He's got no access to the puck. He can't see it. He's playing hit me. That was an actual save. That wasn't just hit me. And you look at some of the habits that lead to moments like that and maintaining an element of technique, even in moments where you're abandoning at the end, like that foundation is that'll carry you a long way. And there's just so much to like about his game. That's one tiny example I mean, I, I've been blessed. I've had a chance, uh, you know, in the past to, um, to go over video with him and w- watch how he watches. Even in the ankle sprain, he'll tell you um, he managed the post wrong on that one. Like he went into his post and put himself in a position uh, that 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 led to it. Like there's just a real. He's a student of the game. He's got all the physical tools. He has the mindset. Like I don't know how much more I can gush about this guy. I think the lead, I think Leafs goaltending is in good hands for a long time as long as there's a healthy Joseph Wool in the net for them. Well, that's the only thing I think that is might be a draw of concern is there has been a little bit of injuries with him, but I mean, most of the things I think are things you can overcome and welcome just, to welcome to goaltending in 2024. That's it right there. But um, I'm excited for Joel Wool. You pretty much answered the next question. Who should run with the Leafs crease? Obviously we both probably agree. It's Joel Wool when he's healthy and ready to go. Yeah. And Hey, listen, like there might be some growing pains coming back, trusting the, like, I don't know. Right. Like I'm, I'm yep. thinking, I'm thinking of possibilities. Does it just because he has all this talent doesn't mean that everything happens automatically. And he, as soon as he shows up, he feels good about his game. Right. But I trust the people. Again, you think of a Curtis Sanford and I've watched, you know, Washington Clark here working guys off rehab, knowing what drills will help them feel good. The relationship that Curtis has built with Joseph, where, they know the work they're doing is designed to reinforce that foundation. And when can we add some dynamic elements so that, you know, when the play breaks down, because ultimately in today's game, it's, it will, it will hundred percent. Like there is, you, you know, like going over the video with them, it's like, it's not perfect, but it can't be perfect. Cause the game's not perfect. Like, no. like if nothing's you try kind of you, earlier, nothing's cutting dry. Yeah, if you, changes. yeah, and if you're trying to be perfect behind it, that actually becomes problematic, right? And so, you know, when to get those drills going and what those drills look like so that they're a combination of drills that will make him feel good, but are also pushing him 
into more reactive elements of his game. Like I just, you know, whether it's Hanu in the American League, uh, Sandman in the NHL, or McElhenney overseeing it all, like I just think they're in a really good spot. And you know, like I said, I don't know Hill to be, but you you know the people that are helping him, and you see the numbers, and and you know the skill set, or you've heard about the skill set. Yep. I do know more about Joseph Wall, and I think you add that to the group they put there. And you know, credit to Brad Tree Living. Um, you know, when John Elkin went to Pittsburgh, which don't think it was a surprise to anyone given the relationship he had with Dubas. Yep. Um, you know, if you want to talk about the guys who are actually pioneers of the whole goalie department and having somebody uh, in a director role, you know, Brad was one of them in Calgary with, with Jordan Sigalette, moving him into that role and hiring Jason LaBarbera um, and a couple different guys since in the American league, Mackenzie Skapsky right now. Um, so you kind of knew that he understood the importance of having support for that position. And he's put an excellent crew in place again in Toronto. And you, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean you just help the guys that are there. The idea is that you work together to find the next ones, whether it's in free agency, making sure you're finding guys that fit what you teach and what you believe in as strengths. Um, you know, we think of height, like height doesn't matter without length, right? Like if you can't extend and lengthen over pads with your limbs, you know, height becomes even more restrictive. And so in Vancouver, Ian Clark talks about length. So I'm sure that's part of the dialogue now, you know, whether it's at the amateur side or on the pro scouting side, having a team like that allows you to build out a stable of goaltenders so that even if the next time Joseph Wall misses a post and ends up with an ankle sprain, you feel good about what you've got coming. I mean, you look at Columbus after Ian Clark left, man, they've still got Daniel Tarasov. Like he, Clark, he's been here in Vancouver for what, five years now? And they still have part of that pipeline coming up and hopefully being the next one to help them as they move after moving on from Sergei Bobrovsky, Merzlikens, Terrace, you know, like those types of guys. Um, that's the idea. Build out an apartment, build out a stable of goaltenders so you're never in a jam and you don't have to go shopping or buying from somebody else to fix it. Well, that's the best way to be. Obviously, I like uh, the fact that at least have a homegrown goalie coming along in Joe Wool. Maybe another one in Hillaby. We'll see. But uh, there was some good news. We saw Joe Wool today via video going post to post, pushing off on that ankle very lightly, but just doing that, you know, back and forth. And I believe it was Sanford uh, and somebody else standing there watching that happen uh, and basically instructing him what to do. So that comfort thing you just talked about, they're already trying to work that back with him just so he feels good probably when he does have to start actually pushing off and getting into that position. So there's one building block and everybody you just talked about watching him do it and monitoring him and bringing him along. So I'm excited for wool. I can't wait to talk to you when at least win the Stanley cup and it's Joel wool with the cup over his head. Cause ladies and gentlemen, it will happen. You have to manifest these things. I manifested Joel wool being the goaltender to Leafs. That has happened. Next thing okay. is the cup. And then maybe you get a day with the cup with Joel wool and you guys break down the video of how it all went to play. Well, listen, like uh, on my side of it, um, as, as a guy who's worked uh, first for the Associated Press and now NHL.com is the day job covering the league, uh, and in particular the Vancouver Canucks is the, the team I'm closest to here in Vancouver. Um, I always say that, like, we don't che- I don't cheer for teams. Um, I only cheer for good stories and good people. And I think the Joseph Wall and, and the staff they've built there in Toronto fits both bills. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm not cheering because there's no cheering in the press box, but. Uh, I'd be happy to see it um, for all the people involved. 
Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a little time coming together, but Kevin, I want to thank you very much for jumping on with me tonight, breaking down some stuff for the Leafs and goaltending in general. Where can everybody find your stuff in case they're already not following you? Yeah, I know uh, Kevin is in goal on Twitter and then, you know, in goal mag, in goal magazine, uh, in goal mag.com. Um, honestly, folks, like if you're listening and you're not a goalie, it's probably not for you. But if you are a goalie and you haven't checked it out, if you've got a son or a daughter who plays the position, if you're a goalie coach, uh, there's a reason we have over 200 uh, professional goalie coaches around the world, including most in the NHL that subscribe to the product. We take you on the ice with NHL goalies. Uh, we take you into video sessions where NHL goalies break down their reads and their saves. Uh, they talk about their equipment, some of the customizations, how they like certain things to play, how they set it up so that they're optimized. You talk about those moves. Wool makes the double seal on the post, like, um, you know, how he has his toe ties so that when he goes into a toe lock, he's got the right push pressure. Um, if you're a goalie, whether it's a young one, a teenager, a junior, college, major junior, pro goalie, subscribe, or a beer leaguer, we have something that you will basically benefit from. Tools in the toolbox, as we say. Uh, we don't tell you how to play. We just show you how all these guys do it, and you decide what works for you. It's, that's what I love, as I said earlier, about the position. There's no one way. That's we it. show you as many different ways as possible, and it's actually the NHL goalies that are showing us and then we bring that message from them, oftentimes directly to you. And so, yeah, if you're a goalie, we'll make you a better goalie. Love it, man. Yeah, check it out. Check out Ingo Mag. Make sure you go to ingolmag.com and check out Kevin Woodley over on Twitter. And, of course, you can hear him on the radio and other places as well. The man breaks down everything. But I appreciate it so much that you took the time with me and answered my questions, my friend. I want to say have a good night, everyone that's listening, because this is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk.